stick to football, a crazy weekend of college football news. We are going to break it all down for you. Happy Tuesday, Matt, Mello, and Connor. And I'll say, guys, we're recording Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. And as happens in the world of podcasting, we could record this and a lot could change in the next 24 hours. So please do not hold it against us. If some of this information becomes outdated, we're doing our best to talk about an ever-changing landscape right now in college football, guys. No dicking around this morning. We're going to hop right into it. Over the weekend, it's funny. I I just want to like hat tip college football players. They pulled an, an M. Night Shyamalan on everybody because they said, oh, we want to play. The hashtag trends over the weekend, we want to play. We want to play. Late Sunday night, they dropped the we want to play plus we are united. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields lead the charge. College football players want to unionize, which we don't know if that's legal or not, but they want to unionize and get what they feel like are safe workplace uh, requirements, guys. And as I tweeted Monday morning, I can't believe this stuff's not already in place. I know that we looked at some of the the things that the Big Ten players and the Pac-12 players were saying and were like, ooh, I just don't know that some of this stuff can happen. If you look at what Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and these guys are trying to accomplish now, how was this not already in place? They want like universal mandated health and safety procedures across all conferences. So it's not just the SEC doing its own thing, the Big 12 doing its own thing. They want a united uh, protocol in place across all conferences. Duh, the NCAA should have done that months ago. And then give the players opportunity to opt out like they're going to get that regardless. And then I like this next one, guarantee an el- another year of eligibility if a player does opt out. So if they decide they don't want to play this season, they should be able to come back for that fifth year as a senior or yep. get their freshman year to do all over again. And I do think that it is beyond time to make these things happen. Uh, getting everybody the Big Ten Network, maybe we can put that on hold for a little bit. But I think the needs, or at least the wants that these players are putting out today, are things that should be in place already. I'm with you all the way. I mean, there's no doubt that these are things that you. it's kind of eye-opening that they don't exist. Now, on the flip side, while this is great, right? This is something that I know I was excited for. I know I saw you guys were excited for. A lot of people were. In terms of this college football season right now, it's the middle of August. For this to come together, and I'm not saying this rooting against it. I'm saying this from a legality standpoint, from all the hurdles and all the BS you have to go through. It's just sad that we're here right now, guys. That it's that, you know, obviously they're fighting. They want a season. I understand why it's going to be very hard to pull off a season, but I also understand why the athletes feel, you know, at least many of them feel that their school has taken the proper measures and they want to play. It's crunch time, though. And I think for this all to come together, especially a union type movement, you just know that the NCAA, the way it is, is going to find a way to resist. Oh, absolutely. And I do think that this is the right way to go about it. As Mello said, a lot of folks said, oh, the Pac-12 players, what they're asking for is is not fair. It's unrealistic in a short time span. What they're asking for now, as you guys highlighted, it's not ridiculous. And it's really just what I would consider safe workplace environments where, hey, we, you're going to be tested. I want to commend Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. 
Uh, but I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence first. Here's a player who, since and both, they were both the, the you know consensus basically top quarterback in their re- same recruiting class. These two have been since high school the guy, and Trevor Lawrence especially you know with the national championship win and, and with how successful Clemson has been, he does not need to play another snap of college football, and he would be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. If if college football is canceled today, Trevor Lawrence will be the number one pick in the draft. He doesn't need another season, but here he is advocating for his teammates, for his colleagues, guys he probably played against and with in high school, seven-on-seven tournaments, and he is using his name, which is the biggest in college football, to advocate for these players. I, I just want to say that's that's leadership. Well, and getting other players on board, too. Like, it's not just Trevor Lawrence, obviously, but, like, going to a Justin Fields, too. Like, these two are competing yeah. for a Heisman Trophy, a national championship, to be QB1 in the draft, but they're still coming together and trying to get this organized. I think it says a lot about both players' character. I mean, it absolutely does. When you look at... Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, because let's be real, if if college football was canceled this very minute and these guys said, hey, we're going to the draft, we're not going to hang around any longer, Justin Fields would be just as much of a lock as a top 10 pick in my eyes that Trevor Lawrence has established himself. Now, when you look at it, you know, it's it's just super, super impressive because it just shows they have less. They could just walk away right now and they're locks, but they're doing this because they love football. They love college football. I think they love their teammates, and they want to do what's best for everyone around them, which I think says a lot, and that's what's super impressive about all of this. It obviously came together very quickly, which means a lot happened behind the scenes to pull that off, and it just kind of shows the leaders that both of these players are at the quarterback position on and off the field. Yeah, and I think that is it's great to see, and same with Penny Sewell, who you know was a big right. name leading the charge for the We Are United uh, situation that the Pac-12 players were putting together. Some of the biggest names in college football are the, are the guys who are saying, you know what, this this doesn't affect me, but I care about my teammates, I care about this sport, and I want to make it safe for your fellow athlete to go out there and participate. And as we know, football leads the way in college football. men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, softball, baseball. If this works for football, it's going to work for everyone else. That's the essence of title nine. So I I think that this might be honestly like not to be hyperbolic. This might be the most important 48 hours in the history of college football because Dan Patrick is reporting this morning. And I know that might seem like a weird name to say he's reporting, but Dan Patrick's source says that 12 of 14 presidents from the big 10 have voted against having a fall college season with Iowa and Nebraska too, that have been pushing to play Mac has already canceled. And it does seem like it's starting to become almost regional big 10 and PAC 12 want to cancel the sec ACC and Big 12 want to play to the point that their reports that the SEC is actually recruiting schools. So if the Big 12 cancels, the SEC is recruiting Texas and Oklahoma. They want to bring in the big dogs to play if something goes goes down with some of these conferences canceling. But to me, this feels like bigger than anything we've ever seen in college football. I've been covering the sport since 2010. This goes back to Kane Coulter, Northwestern, trying to unionize in, I believe, 2013 or 14. And, and now here we are today where a pandemic is sweeping across the country with 5 million positive cases, and college football players are saying, hey, we we do want to play 
but it's time to acknowledge that we are not amateurs. We are professionals. Let's work something out. Right. And as far as like the SEC trying to get other schools to join, I don't even know if that's really like a possibility. Or, or if they're just out there. It's a little late. <laughs> you know, trying I to mean, recruit other conferences. Like if they're in the Big 12's ear being like, hey, let's do this thing. If you have your teams, we have our teams. We have enough. And at the end of the year, we'll still play a national title. I don't know if they could just be like. I think uh, they could. Pull. I don't think the Big 12 would allow it, though. But the beauty of the NCAA is that, that no one has control. Like you as a university can kind of do your own thing. And I wonder if, and I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to even pretend like I know the answer to this. But like if you're Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12 cancels the season, it seems like you would almost be like free to go do something else. I, I highly doubt it, though. It, I, like an extenuating circumstance. Like I'm sure it's not in the paperwork. I mean, it would you be know, nice. Right? Like, uh, well, in case of pandemic, if we don't play, you can't either. I think it's probably more, though, like them trying to work on those other conferences. Or even trying to get all three of those conferences together to be like, hey, Pac-12, like, this is your chance to make the playoff. Like, don't, don't <laughs> right. dip out now. We're going to let you in finally. Just come with us over here. So my question is, and let's just have... I guess the word isn't fun, but let's have fun with this. Let's say the SEC is the only conference that moves forward with college football this year, guys. When you look at it, does that mean all the players in the SEC signed liability waivers for this to happen? I would think they would have to. They have to. Yeah. Because the schools will not make themselves liable for any long-term health issues that could rise from this. Whether you... I don't even want to get into the whole virus thing again. It just makes people upset every time, but we have to discuss it because that's what's going on in the football world right now. It's a reality that schools and players have to face, and it's very obvious that the MAC was not willing to take that risk. It seems like the Big Ten is moving forward and not taking that risk, possibly the Pac-12. I think when you look at it, is the SEC, that's a very bold move by the SEC if that's the route they go. And it it does feel like the SEC can obviously afford to test twice a day if that's what it takes. Yes, absolutely. Which, let's be honest, all the Power Fives can. They don't want to. Yes. They can afford to. As I said last week, Stanford has a $28 billion endowment they're sitting on. They can afford to test. Go to your boosters and be like, hey, you want to have a college football season? We need help paying for these tests. You'll have that money tomorrow. Let's go, buddy. Yeah. The money exists. Absolutely does. And I saw someone saying this morning, you could even just go to the TV networks and be like, "Hey, sorry, we're gonna need we're gonna need more money to, to because I, of this. It's hazard pay." In this morning, Monday morning, sitting here, that was one thing that was kind of just everything so scattered and trying to sort through everything that's going on. I thought I heard somewhere that the SEC and these other schools are even trying to negotiate TV deals. If the Big Ten yeah. and the Pac-12 dip out, the SEC's like, "Hey, why don't you put on a couple more of our games?" Uh, yeah, I'm uh, here so for it. absolutely. Rick Neuheisel just said on ESPN College Football XM this morning that Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, and Penn State have been reaching out to the Big Twelve about playing in the Big Twelve if the Big Ten season's canceled. So I guess that answers our question. So yeah, that's that seems ridiculous to me. But let me tell you, fellas, I'm here for it. mercenaries, like, man. I'm I'm all about doing what's right by the players. I really selfishly, like, I want a college football season. I want it to happen as safely as possible, but I do want that season so, to happen. Exactly. I do think it's possible to be in both camps. Like, I want the, I want players to be safe, but God damn it, I want college football. Like, I was in a funk all weekend, like, yelling at my children because I, I it's just depressing to think we might not have college football and that it, it does feel like, honestly, this could have been 
handled much sooner than the beginning of August. Yeah. Like, but maybe we could have been working on this in May, you know, instead of in August. And Hell, so it, June even. Yeah, like, you, you know, anytime. It is, it's very, very frustrating that here we are to this point. And again, it's going to be fluid. We're going to watch and see how this thing goes. Uh, one thing we do know, and this affects college football, it affects the 2021 NFL draft, guys. It's funny that it feels like this was weeks ago. But we haven't talked about it yet. The Missouri Valley Conference has canceled fall football. They're hopeful for spring. This affects Trey Lance. This really affects uh, Dylan Raddins as well, the left tackle there who is a senior. Uh, how these two players, what decisions they make, I don't know if they try to. It's too late to transfer in my opinion, but they have some big decisions to make. And what I want, and I know the NFL, the NFL's worried about their own stuff. But there is a rule in the collective bargaining agreement that says the draft has to be held by June 2nd. Can the NFL push the draft back a month so that there can be spring college football? I don't know the answer to this. It affects so much of what we consider staples, senior bowl, combine. How How is this going to play out? But four guys in the Missouri Valley, and that includes North Dakota State, they have some hard decisions to make. Uh, yes, definitely. Because you look at Trey Lance, a guy that we've already been talking about frequently on this show since our return. This is a guy that could be a top five pick. But if he transfers, goes out and plays like shit, then he's not a top five pick anymore. So I do feel like he's in a rough spot because we even said earlier, we want to see more tape on this guy. We want to see if he can replicate that season and do it all again because he kicked the shit out of a lower level conference. Let's see if he can do that again. But now they're not going to have their season. And he might be in a tougher situation if he does transfer somewhere. So if I'm Trey Lance, I think the best situation for him is probably sit out. If you know you're going to declare, probably go ahead and start working with a, a quarterback coach. If not, then I guess you gear up and you're ready for the spring. I, I would agree with that. I would not try to transfer and potentially create a hazardous situation, right, where it's already tough enough that you're you'd be looking at trying to transfer in the middle of August, right? While obviously playing more difficult competition with less preparation. I mean, you've had no time with the program. The, you're, you'd probably be learning a new offense or at least new offensive concepts, chemistry with a new offensive line, new wide receivers, new running backs, new tight ends, with a new staff. There's so many hurdles on top of the fact that you're going to be navigating a very difficult college football world because of the COVID situation right now, where it's going to change these guys' lives, right? Like, it's stressful going to get tested all the time. It's stressful to take all these measures for safety. It does, it's not easy. So I'm with Mello that it, it, when it comes down to that with Trey Lance, I would just opt out. I'd get with the quarterback coach. You also have to factor in that his physical ability is very, very impressive where when scouts and coaches go see him throw – when they get his tapes of him working out, they're going to be really, really impressed with how the guy moves, how the guy throws, his mechanics, all of those things, his mental makeup. So I think for Trey Lance, the best option would be at that point probably just to get ready for the NFL. While that's not an easy decision, that to me is by far the best option. Isn't it weird that in a way not playing again could actually help Trey Lance? Like you go out with having never thrown an interception. Now you just you know what, and so you can't hold it against him. Like, oh well, maybe he's a one-year wonder, or uh, his level of competition did what he could. I mean, he did everything he was he could given the schedule. If, if I'm Trey Lance, and and I'll, full transparency, he and I have talked not about this. Um, I'm calling Jordan Palmer or Quincy Avery and saying, I have nine months uh, before the draft. 
what kind of program can you put together for me? What do I need to be doing? Um, and I know I've spoken to a lot of agents. They're concerned because we have guys opting out and declaring for the draft. And for nine months, is that agent uh, going to be paying for your training expenses, your <laughs> living expenses? Pretty expensive. It's going to be very expensive. Usually that's what, January to April, maybe April? Yeah. It's going to be a little bit different this year. A little more year. expensive this year. Uh, agents are going to be put in a really tough spot. Yeah, it is. I mean, Everyone most is. can't do it. Like, a lot of agents cannot do that. Of course, the powerhouses can, right? Like, if you yeah. know, if you sign a Trevor Lawrence, you know you're getting a top three pick. You're getting that money back and then some. But the sec- the second and third round guys, you can't put them up for nine. Or they'll tell you they won't put you up for nine months. It's going to create a very difficult situation for every side involved. Absolutely. And I know some folks are like, I can't afford to miss this year. I'm going to need your help. <laughs> like Because, and, and honestly, I was telling Melo last night, like, that's... Man, nine months out, that's hard. That's hard to be like, well, here are the guys I mean, that the, the list of can't miss is very small. Even looking at last year's draft, Joe Burrow at this time last year was like a eh, third round guy. Like, he could have a solid Maybe. season. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. looking at it optimistically, like third round and then boom, first pick overall. Uh, in August, we would have told you that Jerry Judy was like, can't miss, going to be wide receiver one. He was drafted wide receiver three, which I still think he's going to be very good. But the draft landscape changes so much throughout the college football season. And now we're going to be scattering everywhere. It's like we're going to have to rely on old tape on a lot of guys and potentially every guy if we do see the college football season cancel. Yeah, there's like six or seven players who I feel like can't miss, lock first rounders. If there's no football, they're going to still go first round. They're going to be locked in there. We're going to talk about a couple of them in in the second segment. Uh, But, guys, uh, some NFL news. The season actually starts one month from today as we're recording. Season starts September 10th. Texans, Chiefs, Thursday nighter. That feels like it's a million years from now. And, like, I'm holding my breath to some extent, just hoping and praying that an NFL season happens because if there's no college football, we're going to need something to talk about twice a week. So one month from now, Texans chiefs and like, it's something to celebrate. And it does seem like the NFL is doing a pretty good job, honestly, of handling the, uh, their caseload and the positive test. And there haven't been outbreaks. So I think the NFL should deserve some applause and I'm pretty hard on the league in general. They deserve some applause for this. I mean, they have been in camps for a little bit now and we're not seeing any outbreaks. Uh, at least to my knowledge, not like we're seeing with MLB. We'll see what happens when games start playing. People start traveling. I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But I, I do think that we'll see that first game September 10th. Uh, and it's something to look forward to. I think they did a really nice job with the uh, like the ramp up phase, right? Of getting got how they got guys into camp with multiple tests, a lot of days in between of breaks. And then, hey, let's break up into small groups and do strength and conditioning before we start getting into full practices. I think they had a really nice plan for that. I still think the most interesting aspect is going to be, you know, travel and game action, of course. But if guys are responsible and it's really just kept amongst a bubble of your team, I think there's a very good chance that we have this NFL season ahead of us. Yeah, it's it is absolutely looking that way, uh, which, again, it's reason to celebrate. It's reason for optimism. So just hope and pray and wish that the NFL can continue to do the job they've done with this. Uh, one more uh, little nugget before we uh, dip out and then cover some of these top prospects who declared over the weekend. Darius Geis, a player who. I was very high on uh, coming out of LSU as a running back prospect uh, has been charged with uh, multiple 
things, domestic assault, strangulation, uh, and has been arrested, turned himself in, uh, and the Washington football team swiftly moved to release him as soon as these allegations and charges came to light. So Darius Geis, uh, currently not a member of a football team, and it is becoming hard to imagine that, and you don't want to ever say like a guy won't get a second chance because uh, Frank Clark's on a football team, but with Darius Geis, for a player who also hasn't produced. And I think with like the Frank Clarks of the world, you bet he's one of the best pass rushers in football. You're going to get a second chance Uh, with Darius Geist. He's been hurt. I actually heard he was hurt again, uh, hurt his knee again this off season. Uh, And now you have these charges that come out. So not a good look for a player that uh, I, I at least was previously pretty high on. Good for the Washington football team to do their research on it and act swiftly, like you said. We used to have a saying for guys like this, and sadly, uh, we still do. Fuck this guy, allegedly. I mean, absolutely. I think he was running back two across the board in that class. Yep. I mean, after Saquon, it was it was pretty much Darius Geis or Sony Michelle, uh, depending how you stacked it up. So this is a, a big fall for a player that I know was on the show, a player that we had high hopes for, and it's it's disgusting. And like you said, Matt... You know, there's it's a league of second chances, right? You look at Tyreek Hill got drafted, Frank Clark's in the league, Reuben Foster, you know, obviously I think his case was dropped, but there's still things out there. But for Darius Geis, not only is it absolutely awful, it seems like the team was fully ready to move on at this point for, for a magnitude of reasons, yeah. and it's just disgusting. And a, a lot of changes in Washington this offseason. I think Ron Rivera... Uh, again, we're talking about people deserving applause. Ron Rivera for just saying, you know what? No, we're good. We're not doing this. And a similar situation happening in New York with DeAndre Baker being charged with four counts uh, of uh, kidnapping. That and situation all kinds of other was things. so like up and down and trying to figure out what was really going on. Uh, it it doesn't sound good for DeAndre Baker though. And that's another thing. Like I don't want to speak on the DeAndre Baker stuff because I I still don't really have a good understanding. I, I think when you're looking at Darius Geis and the team has already come out and cut him, that probably gives you a pretty good sign of what's going on. Well, I think also what's interesting with Baker is that Quentin Dunbar did not get charged for anything. Right. and he, That's what makes it so hard to dissect yeah, here. And I believe Seattle activated him off the, yeah, the exempt list. Oh, he's going to play yeah. this year for them. Absolutely. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the future of some of the top players who uh, made their intentions known. They are opting out of the season and declaring for the 2021 NFL Draft. Many big names, but also some players to just get excited about. I want to start with Gregory Russo, University of Miami. And last week, we had heard, or I had heard, excuse me, that, yeah, hey, he's probably going to go ahead and opt out and declare. And it's funny because Manny Diaz was like, we're not going to have any players opt out. And so Melo pokes his head over his desk and he's like, hey, Manny Diaz just said no one's going to opt out. Which I was like, man, I've been telling you all day that I thought Russo was going to opt out. Two minutes later, I think, it comes across on Twitter that Russo decides to opt out. And so we had a little bit of a like a film review day here in the, the Joplin office and I'm just gushing about this kid's play. He is exceptionally talented. And I say kid, he's 20 years old. He's the same age as my daughter. That's the, he's a child to me. And but he's I mean, he's fantastic. And Miami did a lot of fun things last year with their front running three-man fronts. He played nose tackle. Then they would go, oh, three-man front, you're standing up. Four-man front, you're you got hand in the dirt. So his versatility was the first thing that stood out to me. He's quick. He is powerful, though, as well. You'll see him, again, playing nose tackle. You'll see him have to split and shed a center guard combo. 
the second effort that he gives as a pass rusher was also really, really fun to me to watch because there are times where he he gets that penetration, the quarterback, you know, rolls out, moves the pocket, and he's chasing guys down. So I loved that use of length and effort. My biggest question, one year. That's all. One year of production. But it was really good. 19 and a half tackles for a loss, 15 and a half sacks. That's why I comped him to Daniil Hunter. Maybe a little bit raw coming out. I think his ceiling is ahead of like a Marcus Davenport who you're probably going to look at Marcus Davenport's body type and be like, oh, those guys are really similar. I think he's miles ahead of where even where we saw Davenport at the Senior Bowl, I think Russo's way ahead of that. And I really like him. Even turning on the film again, uh, again, picking up a lot of the same things you did, the versatility, being able to go from nose tackle where he plays a lot of snaps all the way out to a guy who could project as an outside, you know, standing 3-4 linebacker. I really like what he can do there. And very good with his hands. You know, a guy that's only played one year. He redshirted his freshman year, uh, came back as a redshirt freshman, and had 15 and a half sacks in the ACC. But he's very good with his hands. Very powerful. I mean, if he gets a good punch on you, that lineman's head is jarring backwards. But he can also use his hands and some technique. He's got a lot in his toolbox and very quick as well. Like if you think that he's just going to come at you with a bull rush, next thing you know, he's giving you a swim or a spin move, and he's getting to the quarterback. But also, I, probably what I like the most about him is this is a freshman edge rusher who loves to play against the run. He made multiple like run down to the backside of the ball plays when I watched him. He's he can get off blocks. I really think that he could be a complete defensive lineman. Like you put him in a four three defensive end spot, I think he's going to excel immediately. He squeezes the line. I yes. love that. I, and, I wrote that. And too. he'll even like he'll have the lineman engaged, and he's reading the run. And as soon as he needs to get off that block. Boom, he's gone. And he's down the line very quickly, making a play on the run. I love to see that. I, I mean, guys that can pin their ears back and just get after the quarterback are always going to get paid in the league. But when you got a guy that can do both, that's a rarity. And I think that we see that with him. Uh, the only questions that I really had with him, he plays a little bit high. And at times, he can be slow off the ball. There's not always that great explosion out of his stance. And sometimes he gets a little high. Still a very good player. I have him comped to Preston Smith with the Green Bay Packers. And mainly, I think with him, the hard thing is finding a guy this big that can move that well. And that's the only reason why I comped him to Preston Smith. Like These are big guys. They move well, solid against the run. I think out of all the opt-outs so far, this is the one I'm, I'm most disappointed that we don't get to see another year of, right? When you look at Rousseau, like Matt said, really, really young player coming off the 15-sack season, you just feel like there was a lot of meat left on the table for this guy to be a great college football player and have back-to-back -back dominant seasons where he got even better. It's crazy that he had the 15 sacks because you look at him and go, man, there are things he can improve on. Like Melo said, he does play high. The technique needs work at times. I think... He, he, you know, he's so raw and so talented because he's so long that he beats guys with length, even from the nose spot, which is crazy, but he's still getting stronger. He's only about 250 pounds when he's six foot seven. So I think when you see him add on more strength, play a little lower, I think that toolbox will be a little bit more rounded out. Uh, he reminds me of Carlos Dunlap, who's had a very nice career for yeah. the Bengals right now. He has over 80 sacks in his career. A lot of people don't realize that just because he's been buried in Cincinnati for a while. Now, I think Rousseau obviously has a higher ceiling than Dunlap has had, but you're looking at a player that, while he's still improving, 
he's going to go so early because a team is going to see how much of a ceiling he has compared to everyone else in this class. Go, man, if he had one more year at Miami, you could have been looking at a guy that was a top two overall pick, that kind of talent with Rousseau. And I have him ranked number six overall on my board, uh, top edge rusher. One thing that I do wonder about, and I, I meant to mention this when I was speaking on him, so much of his production came at nose tackle. Uh, so much of his sack production did. I like I almost look at that as a negative because he's not going to be able to play there extensively in the NFL. So it's we saw a lot. I mean, I think I counted like seven or eight sacks from nose. So I do wonder, and the tools are there for him to play outside, but it is a projection still. I have a question for you guys. One thing I will say about him, and I think Melo kind of alluded to this. I, I thought he could have been, I think I expected him to be a little bit more explosive. Like I watched Chris Rump on Duke, who just explodes off the edge. A smaller, more compact pass rusher that really wins with more bend. With Rousseau, I, I didn't think he was overly explosive. And maybe that's something where... You know, he's just not used to the timing right now, things like that. Maybe he's still growing into that body. Maybe you just want to see him take more reps outside and show how explosive he is. But I thought that was something I would have liked to see a jump this year where I do wonder how he tests. Yeah, that, and that's what I was going to say, too. I wonder about that 40 time, about those short shuttles and things like that. Free cone, yep. Because he, he's not winning with his feet. You know, a lot of times with edge rushers, it's just they get off the ball so damn quick that you yes. can't do anything about it. And that is one thing that I actually like about Russo, is that he's not just exploding off the ball before these tackles can get their hands on him. He's doing work after the tackles get their hands on him. And in the NFL, that's going to happen. Uh, he needs to improve uh, that explosiveness because in the NFL, you're going to have to have a little bit of both. But I, I really like him. I, I have him six overall as well. And I think that, you know, with him opting out, he's going to go and work with trainers and he's going to get more explosive. And hopefully that's something that can carry over into his game and not just, you know, at a combine testing. And I'm anxious to see what he finally, like, what will his final weight be? Because he's been listed everything from 250 to 265. I think he could probably be like 270, 275. And oh, not easy. like, I mean, that frame isn't, it's not lean, not too lean, but it could be filled out still. So he's, he's exciting because of the potential. Uh, now, the, the player that everyone knows when he announced he was opting out was like, yeah, okay, this one makes sense. Micah Parsons, I think he's the best defender in college, would have been the best defender in college football. That's going to take some use, uh, getting used to. Uh, I compared him to Jalen Smith pre injury, guys. And, and longtime listeners will know how much I loved Jalen Smith. I, I almost cried when he got hurt. I was so upset that we weren't going to get to see, you know, at the time we thought he'd never play again. The size-speed combination is not fair. 6'3", 245, Bruce Feldman noted he ran a 4.43 in the 40-yard dash. That's not normal. And Penn State's pretty accurate on their times. Like, if you get a junior time on a player at Penn State, yep, that's about what they're going to be. And so for Micah Parsons, I mean, it's everything you want. We're seeing guys, I mean, think about our top 10 linebackers the last couple of years. They're like 225. 228, maybe 230. He's 245 pounds and has that speed, that athleticism. I think his awareness is really, really good. He's very good against the run. This is a true Mike linebacker, not a, and we're going to bump you to weak side so that you don't have to take on blocks. This is a true Mike linebacker. My biggest knock, and I don't even know if it's fair to call it a knock, it's just a lack of experience and coverage because we actually saw him rush the quarterback a decent amount at Penn State, and I, I think he has some upside there depending on how you want to use him, but if there's a knock, it's just that. Like I, I guess it's that we haven't seen you in coverage. But if you're six three two forty five and you run a four four three, like, I'm pretty sure you can cover. Uh, I think so too. And for my questions with him, like I don't know. 
I, I'm watching him again last night to get ready for the show. And I, I don't know experience and coverage, even like when he does drop, he moves really well in coverage. So I don't even know if that's a, like a question mark or a negative, or if it's just something we haven't seen, but I, I think this is the most complete linebacker we've seen in a really long time. Uh, and I have him comped to Patrick Willis and Matt, I know you'll love that. Cause he's a uh, hall guy. of famer for you, but like you were mentioning with these other guys, we've had so many like linebackers come through that have been very good. A Patrick Queen, uh, Kenneth Murray, all these guys. But there was always a question about something big. With Queen, it was, can he get physical, play against the run? Like Kenneth Murray, was he just a tackling machine at Oklahoma? Or even going back to like Devin White and Devin Bush. Like, oh, they're the tiny guys. Might not even be six foot tall. Not that heavy. There are no questions with Micah Parsons with that. He's 6'3", 245, and runs faster than all of these guys. He is He's going to be a top five pick, or at least I think should be. He's going to be there on my big board for here until uh, he's off the board. This is one of those no-brainers, and since we started doing this show, we have had a lot of good linebackers in, in the drafts, whether it's Devin White, Roquan Smith, guys that had you know Isaiah Simmons, guys that had just top 10 love over and over again at a position where it's very hard to be drafted in the top 10. And I think Parsons looks better than all of those guys so far. I really do. And I love the pass rush ability, obviously. But he is the complete package. Instincts, athleticism, size, three-down backer, leadership. This is somebody where we were talking about him when he was a freshman. Because I remember that year we did so much college football talk. We're like, man, I can't wait to talk about yeah. this linebacker for Penn State. I see him on the field, and I just see Luke Keekley. I mean, somebody that on third down, you're not trying to get a mismatch against him. You're afraid of him because he's either running at your quarterback or he's he can drop back in coverage because he's so athletic and so smart and just knows where the football is going. He is a true drive stopper is what Micah Parsons is, and I love that in a linebacker and I think he could be just every bit as athletic and good as Keekley was for those, what, eight or nine years with the Panthers. Yeah, hopefully just a little bit healthier than Keekley. But, goodness, he's he's an exciting player. I have him ranked at five overall, top defender in the class. Uh, let's move on to Rondale Moore, another player who we've been watching since he was a freshman, the Purdue wide receiver. He opts out, declares for the draft. And a lot of folks, I tweeted my comp out for him the other day, and people were like, what? My comp for him is Hollywood Brown. And I know Hollywood is not as thick as Rondale Moore. And I was explaining this to someone over the weekend. A lot of times with us comps, it, it's for me, it's more like describe the player. Like I should be able to you know, use a comp and you kind of get a picture of what this guy is as a player. Rondale Moore and Hollywood Brown are not built the same. Rondale Moore is built like Tyreek Hill. I don't feel comfortable making that comparison because Tyreek is, is a unicorn in my opinion. But Rondale Moore... He's a yak god. Get the ball in his hands. Let him run after the catch. His burst is phenomenal. Short area quickness is off the charts good. Uh, and one of my favorite things, watching his tape uh, light, late last week, he catches, I would guess, in the 70 percentile of his passes at or right past the line of scrimmage. Everything is short with him. But he's still generating huge yards. Chunk plays are there because he's so good in the open field. His vision, his burst, his top-end speed, the agility, the balance, it's everything. You just want this guy running in space. He's that good. And Purdue, they did a great job of that. Like, if you want to watch somebody run shallow crosses, watch Rondell Moore tape, and you will be satisfied because they're all there. And he's so good with that football in his hands. On the flip side of that, it's a limited route tree. And sometimes you can see a guy like a DK Metcalf come into the NFL. Hey, you're running three routes. 
by the end of your rookie season, you're running seven or eight. Rondell Moore might be able to expand that route tree, very similar to how Tyreek Hill did as a rookie, but that is probably my biggest question. And he is coming off an injury last year, but the that route tree is not going to be, he's not as experienced a route runner as like a Debo Samuel was coming out, where even Debo was, okay, a lot of short stuff, let's expand your route tree. I, I think Rondell's a little more limited than that. And it's hard with these guys too, because even if you say limited route tree, he was a freshman playing in the Big Ten with almost no quarterback play. So even like, it's a question, I think it's something that we can see him improve. Now it sucks, we're not going to get to see him do it in season, but I do have him comped to Tyreek Hill and my explanation for this is when I comp players uh, I want to describe to you what the player is what's he built like and what's he play like and that's Tyreek Hill to me Uh, the 5'9 180 works great underneath uh, yak for days can take the top off of a defense will get involved with jet sweeps very thick bill, like he can run over guys. Where it's different for me is that he's not up there on my big board. So I don't think you're going to get Tyreek Hill level production from this guy. So the comp tells you what kind of player he is. Where he ranks on the big board tells you kind of where he can meet. And, and I don't think that he's going to get on Tyreek Hill's level. That's just one of the best receivers in the league. I don't know if we're going to see it from Rondale Moore, but I, I do like his upside. A great returner in the Big Ten came in, and I mean, look at this guy's freshman stats that he did at Purdue. One of the most outstanding seasons I've ever seen a freshman have. Like, he really should have been uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate if he were on a different team other than Purdue. He caught 114 balls for 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns while also running into touchdowns. Now, he's a complete receiver. It just sucks for him. He's he's 5'9". And a lot of teams, I think, are still going to have that as a, a knock for him, even though, like we talked about on this show, like I don't care anymore. If you can get open and you're 5'9", good. I can get you the football. I, I think this is a good exercise on how different people use comps, right? Like, this is, for me, I compared him to Steve Smith, a little bit of a throwback comp there, because I value body type so much, almost more... That as as much as anything when I compare a player. And Steve Smith ran a sneaky 4-3-9 at the combine. I think I just think of the old Steve Smith Sr. a lot. But he was really fast. They have a similar muscular, compact body type. I think when you look at more on those slants, he is just deadly. As soon as this guy gets the ball in his hands, he is very, very hard to tackle. I, I think he has breakaway speed. I, I think he has really, really good vision. I think once again... You look at how crisp his route running was for a freshman, a true freshman player that had to make an impact, that had to be a number one wide receiver. I know he's going to get labeled as this slot guy, but with the way the NFL values the slot right now, he can be the number one wide receiver in your offense from the slot. So I love Rondell Moore. I think he's a first round player. I know we didn't get to see much of him last year. Uh, But I think he's somebody that, barring any health questions, he showed that he is the complete package on the field in today's very yak-happy NFL. Doesn't he feel like the kind of player like the Chiefs will let Sammy Watkins go and they'll be like, oh, Ronald Moore's there. Oh, Here we I'm, go. I'm trying not to make it a Chiefs podcast because I know our listeners love that. He's the perfect fit in that I offense. Mean, for my like, favorite team and yours. Nicole Hardman. that's another comp. I just think that he's a little bit bigger than me, Cole Hardman. So I didn't comp him to that because I Connor, me and you are the same on that. I look at body type so much in these player comps that that's why I went with Tyreek over me. Cole. 
All right, let's move on. One more player who has declared. And I, I, this one wasn't a surprise. I know several folks, uh, agents were talking about this one. I know Tony Pauline, uh, I believe, tweeted it as well. Jalen Twyman, the defensive lineman from Pitt, announced that he was going to opt out and declare. And I'll tell you, I was not blown away by Jalen Twyman's film. I don't want to say that like no player has ever had I no one's like oh it's a bad decision. You're opting out. It's the best thing for your health, the safety of your family. None of these are bad decisions. Jalen Twyman of the four players we're talking about today is the one that I think could have benefited most from another season of college football. Now, he was incredibly productive last year. Uh, quick hands. He shoots gaps well. Uh, very productive. Uh, again, kind of a one-year production guy. I will tell you, when I was talking to agents and scouts last week, and, and there's so many conversations happening as, you know, hey, this player's going to declare, where do you have him? With Jalen Twyman, I have a third-round grade on him off last year's film. And he is a little bit undersized. I think he's six foot two ninety one. I'm going off memory, so if that's a little wrong, six I apologize. Two ish. That's what he's listed at. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh but I will tell you that folks are saying like this is not like the coaches at Pitt have not gone to bat for him. And I do think in a year without where he's not playing, that's going to carry a lot of weight, probably more than ever, what your college coaches say about you. Yes, we've seen college coaches hold grudges in the past and, and trash players uh, when they shouldn't have and had no right to. But I w I'm just letting you guys know already that with Jalen Twyman, coaches are not giving him the highest uh recommendation and that's being trickled down to to scouts and agents and then it gets to us in the media yeah and my thing with him is he's a little undersized he's a great interior pass rusher he's a little bit undersized he's wearing that pit helmet so i think a lot of people want to say he's aaron donald uh, <laughs> and i will never comp anyone to aaron donald that's just ridiculous because i've seen that man with his shirt off you should not be 290 pounds and look like that but i, I do like his interior pass rush and what Jalen Twyman can be he moves very smoothly and they love to do these stunts with him where he'll start on the inside yeah. and he, he can get to the outside and generate pressure but my thing with him kind of like we were talking about Russo I don't know that this dude loves to stop the run I think that he likes to get after the quarterback and that's kind of his specialty so I comped him to Sheldon Day a little bit of an undersized defensive lineman uh, I'm not that high on him either. Uh, I think that there's a lot that can be improved here. And I wonder if he is a, a true 290 or a true 6'2". He does not look that big on tape. So a lot of questions with Twyman still. Uh, but like you said, Matt, these guys going out and making the best decisions that they can for themselves. So I won't hate on the player for opting out. Yeah, and I apologize. My comp was Mike Daniels. So an another kind of undersized. You could play 5-tech, 3-tech, 4 everywhere. You just play everywhere on the D-line. You could just tell by the comps that, you know, we give a guy like Twyman compared to Rousseau, Parsons and more. It's just a different caliber of player. Right. And I don't think he's a bad player, per se. I just I don't have him as this round one lock while the other guys to me were all round one players. Yeah, I compared him to Larry Ogunjobi on the Browns, somebody that I think has definitely benefited a little bit by playing with Miles Garrett, but has also developed into a pretty reliable, disruptive interior player, definitely a smaller interior player, and definitely a gap-shooting interior defensive lineman. Now, like you said with Twyman, he moves very, very well. I think he showed at the college level that he can beat offensive linemen from almost any alignment on the field. He's obviously going to play at the interior at the next level. 
But I think when you are that size, unfortunately, in today's NFL, you do get eliminated from a lot of schemes. It's just the way a lot of these defensive coordinators, at least on first and second down, will not put a guy out like that until he's a more polished product as a run defender because he can't rely on his size to stop the run. So I think he's going to be one of the more interesting evals. I think he tests pretty well. I think there's definitely more tape that I'll admit I can get into besides the typical, hey, let me watch three to five games of this guy and then tell you what I think. These are the situations where I'm going to have to watch every single player from this this guy's career because there just won't be any more new tape this year. So I think he's promising. I think the league values these smaller interior pass rushers more than they ever used to, especially you look at a guy like Grady Jarrett was completely overlooked, goes in the fifth round and turned to a very, very good player because he developed into one. But once again, it's just he's not the caliber of a guy like a Russo, like a Parsons in this class. Yeah, it is going to be fun uh, the next couple months getting all the tape of these guys and really starting to dive in and break it down. Let's take one more break and then a little bit of draft on draft for you guys. All right, it is draft on draft time. Our guy, Damn Supa, making a repeat appearance with the potential of a non-existent college season. How much projection goes into scouting for underclassmen draftees? A lot of it, man. And we talked about Rondell Moore, Micah Parsons. It's good because we actually have two years of tape on those guys. Others like Russo and Twyman, you don't have as much. And so it is a lot of projection. A, a, a lot of that is, again, it's going to go back to what do, the, what do the coaches say about this guy because they've been with him every day. What does strength and conditioning coach say about his work ethic, his determination, his ability to get bigger, stronger, faster? And then also I think it really goes back to Hopefully we get a senior bowl. Hopefully we get a combine because if you haven't seen these guys play football in a year, those events are going to be really important. Mello, we were talking about this Sunday night. I would love to see if it's feasible in the spring, if it's you know from a health and safety standpoint, some almost like seven on seven leagues, just so we get a chance to see these guys in action. Like I want to watch you throw more. I want to watch more routes more catching, more backpedals. Like, I want to see more than what we're probably going to be presented with. And that's something that even a lot of our listeners have been tweeting with. Like, can we do something like a senior bowl for the underclassmen? Can we have, you know, maybe a different type of scouting combine? Can we do something? Uh, I hope so. I don't know. I know that The Rock just bought the XFL for $15 million. So if I'm him, <laughs> I'm probably trying, trying to organize something to where maybe even I can pay these players a little bit of money, do a four-game schedule or something like that. But if I'm the rock, that's honestly like what I would do. You want to make the XFL successful this spring would be the perfect time to be able to do that with some bubble situations or whatever. Uh, as far as projections, the NFL draft is always a projection. That's why we see these players every year. And it's like, who the hell is this kid? He wasn't even good in college football, but now he's the number 10 pick overall in the NFL draft. It's because you look at these guys and you try to find best fit what they can do. And then these NFL coaches get a hold of them and they just, uh, really put their thumb on what they can do and that's what they do in the NFL so I do think that it's going to be more projection than usual because a lot of these guys just don't have the tape even looking at Russo he's got like what 12 games of tape yep. or so you know there's just not much out there so it will be a lot more projection than usual I think more than ever this would be the year I would love to follow an NFL team around to see what they do different with their process and they probably don't even have the answers for that yet Right now, guys, I think when you look at it, but I would love to know, hey, are you going to value analytics and athleticism more than you normally would? Are you going to 
take high floor players that you have the character answers on already compared to riskier guys that you might like their limited film better, but you know nothing about their character because of such limited time. So I think it's just going to be a totally different process. I think you're going to see probably a lot of misses in next year's draft. That's just the reality of the situation. And it's, it is to quite simply answer damn Supa's question. It's more projection than we've ever seen before. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that with just how people are trying to get prepared for the season. And like, think about last year's draft. It was pretty chalk through the first, like, 20 picks because it was like, okay, guys, they are taking proven players from big universities. I mean, even the Raiders taking Damon Arnett in the first round. A lot of us were like, oh, shit, didn't see that coming. But proven player, big university. So you're limiting your exposure in terms of risk, I think, by doing this. All right, second question from Matthew Bardales. Out of the sophomore quarterbacks like Slovis, Jaden Daniels, Sam Howell, and Kyle Trask, who do you think will take the biggest leap forward or would have? If there was a season, I like all these guys so much. I think the one I'm most excited about is Jaden Daniels. Just seeing him continue to develop at Arizona State. I think even not even just in terms of play, but continuing to watch his body develop and see what he can become. Uh, last year was an incredibly impressive season. Uh, put them on the map. My man needs to get on the we call it the mellow meal plan. He needs to get on that thing uh, because he's like 175 pounds. So if he can bulk up, fill out a little bit. Uh, he's someone that I'm really excited to watch play. 17 touchdowns, only two picks last year passing. Yeah, I like all these quarterbacks. Uh, Kyle Trask, the interesting thing about him, he's actually a redshirt junior, though. Uh, I know that it seemed like he kind of came out of nowhere. He was buried on that bench uh, for a long time, somehow behind Felipe Franks. But he's a redshirt junior, uh, two more years of eligibility for him. I like him a lot, but when you look at the sophomore quarterbacks, for me, it's Sam Howe. You look at the season he had last year, coming in as a true freshman, performing with that team the way that he did. Uh, it's a very, very early look, but I would have him QB1 in that next class. 38 touchdowns last year, only seven picks. I, I think that he hopefully has the chance <laughs> to have a breakout year this year. In the college football preview that I do, uh, I have him as a, as a breakout candidate. He returns a lot of players on that offense, a lot of good receivers there too. I think that he's going to be a pretty special quarterback. And when you talk about a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, trying to organize this stuff, these are the quarterbacks that they need to pass along to, to the Slovis, the Daniels, uh, and the Sam Howe, because they're going to be the future face of college football, especially if we don't have one this season. Isn't it interesting that those guys are all small? Uh, Slovis is not very big. Uh, Jane Daniels is 6'3", but he's skinny. Sam Howell is like 6'1", 225. Those sophomore quarterbacks uh, not hitting that Tom Brady size threshold. Would you credit Baker Mayfield for that? Probably. I guess Russell nah, Wilson Russ. opened the door. Yes. But Russ then, like, felt like such an enigma, though. I, and that's why I was going to say, like, even Baker Mayfield is really, like, the guy who's gotten the ball rolling. Because after Russ, it was like, you're an outlier, you're an outlier. I think Russ is playing the NFL made it possible for people to be like, man, a short quarterback can be good. Yeah. And then, but Baker Mayfield drafted first overall. Then Kyler Murray drafted first overall. Small quarterbacks, like, they, they don't care anymore. The league's going to move you around. Uh, you can be 5'11 and play quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, it it doesn't matter. This is the rare question where we all had a different answer. I, I go with Keaton Slovis. I mean, I look at the, his tape from last year. I was, I was blown away for a young quarterback to play at the level that he did, the throws he can make. I'm just as excited about Slovis for the 2022 draft as I was – 
you know, for guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields really, really early when they were just super, super hyped out of high school. I mean, Slovis was a totally different kind of guy, a three-star, not the the super hype, not the number one overall recruit kind of hype, not number one quarterback kind of hype. But man, I I thought USC was going to be very, very good this year uh, behind this guy's play. And I'm excited that at a minimum, we're, we're going to get to see another college football season from him because I think he could be special. RB wants to know, guys, from your early big boards for the 2021 prospects, which position group is the deepest in talent slash potential and which group has the lowest amount of talent? I'll be honest. I have my top 50 is ranked uh, 51 to like 150 is tiered right now. It looks again like it's going to be a really good year for wide receivers. It looks like a good year for corners and actually for offensive tackles as well. I know running back, I feel like that's somewhat obvious with Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Chuba Hubbard, Kylan Hill going back to school. You had in a Kenneth Gainway. Like there's a lot of a talent there, but I like the receiver class. It feels like we say that every year. Uh, but how about this one? Three quarterbacks, uh, I think that are easily top 15 players. Uh, and maybe some folks would even say higher than that, but it looks like it could be a really good draft class. The the group that doesn't have a lot is Edge, uh, where we just don't have a lot of proven guys. Uh, there is that one at the top in Russo that's really good, though. Yeah, I mean, I would go offensive lineman. Like, the tackle position has really stood out to me so far very early in the process, but, you know, there are probably six or seven of them that are in my top 50 already. I really like what I've seen, and obviously you have a Penny Sewell, at the very top, uh, I think he's the best tackle prospect since Joe Thomas. I really love his game and, and what he can do. And then another position, and uh, sorry, I mean interior lineman as well. Uh, you get a Trey Smith from Tennessee, Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. Those are really good guards that are going to project, maybe be first-round picks. But then also linebacker. We talked about Micah Parsons. I think this could be a deep linebacker class. You got guys like Chaz Surratt at, at North Carolina, Joseph Asai from Texas, Dylan Moses at Alabama, still somehow at Alabama, uh, Rashid Jr., the guy at Oregon State. I think that he could project as a 3-4 outside linebacker, play offside linebacker. Like He's a really complete guy. And there are a lot of guys that are just kind of in the mix there. There's Bolton at Missouri. Like I really think this is a deep linebacker class, but I would definitely agree with you, Matt Edge. It just seems real weak right now. Like the drop off from Russo to the next guy uh, is real far. I like Rumpf a lot, but after those two, I, I just it's very thin. It's a very thin class, and I think when you look at it, defense as a whole, I'm I'm not very impressed. I think you know the top three corners look pretty good. Like you said, Mello, there's a handful of linebackers that could definitely play, but I think the the offensive skill guys are going to steal the show when it comes to this draft class. It's going to be fantasy football galore all over again. Great wide receiver group, great running back group, uh, three powerhouse tight ends, really good quarterback play. You know, obviously we'll talk about the offensive linemen as well, but I think there's a an infusion of skill talent for the second year in a row through this draft class. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a fun class. Now, regardless of how much college football we get to watch, it's going to be a fun class. I, I've been excited. Uh, I know like last uh, one week ago, I was like, yeah, it's kind of been depressing watching tape. As these guys have declared, it rejuvenated me a little bit. It was like, oh, OK, yeah, like this is actually work now. They're declaring for the draft. I need to watch them play. It, it's been a lot of fun here. Uh, Grant Gonsolin 
wants to know, he says, welcome back, guys. Thank you, Grant. Which is harder, turning a college football or NFL team from a perennial loser into a champion? Uh, I'm going to, his question goes on, but I'm going to drop it off there because he kind of answers it. Uh, Grant, it is so much harder to turn a college football team into a perennial winner if you're a perennial loser. We, uh, this is something we've actually been like going back and forth about uh, in the office here in Joplin is that in college football, I feel like you have your haves and your have-nots. And to go from a have-not to a have is almost impossible. And a lot of people are like, what about Clemson? Kind of. Clemson was Even, never like a perennial loser. Right. They were good. They were competitive. You're not going to take Baylor and make them the king of the Big 12. Because when you get a Matt rule, they're leaving. You know, it's so hard to yeah, take. He would have. Right. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to take. Like, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota is doing a hell of a job. And I'm sorry, Gopher fans. I know we aren't that cool. He's not going to be there forever. And so you would have to basically say, okay, P.J. Fleck, here's $8 million a year and everything you want in terms of facilities to turn that from, you know, bottom of the Big Ten to, okay, we're competing with Ohio State every year. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it's something we talk about here all the time, too. Even at a smaller school level, I think it's going to be very difficult to turn a college football program out. You look at the top 25 schools, these are schools that have been doing it for 75 plus years. I mean, you'll get a weird year or, a, you know, a couple string together where Alabama's not as good as they once were, but there's always history and tradition with these schools that are at the top. Even like a Minnesota was very good a hundred years ago. So it's really hard to turn a, like a UCF. They're relatively new to college football and they're really like they're building a good program there, but they're still not being considered with the other big top dogs of college football. I, and you have to string together a lot of good hires. Even Minnesota, like bringing in P.J. Fleck, I hope he stays there forever because I love what he's doing at Minnesota. But realistically, he's probably going to be in the NFL or he's going to be at a Michigan or a traditional school, uh, a blue blood powerhouse. So Minnesota has to hit again on consecutive hires. You need about three good hires at head coach to build a program. That's a lot harder to do than it is to find a free agent in the NFL and, and kind of change the face of your organization or hit on you know a couple draft picks or a draft class, uh, whereas in college football, yeah, you, you've got to hit the nail on the head with your head coach hires, and that's very difficult to do. The playing field is just so much more even in the NFL, right? Like everybody – Starts out with the same draft picks. Everybody has the same amount of cap space. Now, cash flow is a different ball game, but depending on who owns the franchise. But generally, teams, it's not like the Yankees compared to the Pirates, right? That's <laughs> it, just not like in college football, that exists. Alabama, they play with a different budget mm -hmm. than others, than a Central Michigan, right? Like you look at it. It's just totally different playing fields. It, a lot of it has to do with your budget. And sure, you could sit there and go, well, you don't sign players. And that's a different conversation. <laughs> but um, you, you definitely pay coaching staffs a lot of money. I mean, it, look at what the Clemson staff makes. Not Dabo Sweeney, just Dabo. Look at what the Clemson staff makes. Yep. I mean, they probably have position coaches on there that make more than some college football head coaches. So when you look at it, it's just a different playing field. I I'm not sitting here saying it from a sore loser's point of view. I have no – it's just the way life works, right? But to answer the question simply – it's not even close. It is so much more difficult in college football. Yeah, the NFL is designed around parity. You know, uh, if you finish last in the Big Ten, you're not getting extra recruiting visits or scholarships. You know, they're nope. not doing anything to help you if you're Purdue. Sorry. 
Nope. Have fun, guys. Yeah, figure it out on your own. Yep. Uh, the NFL, uh, you're bad. Hey, here's some picks. Here you go. Uh, we'll do all we can to make you competitive in the NFL. All right, here's one from Axel Jansen. Does doing other sports like track and field, wrestling, shot putting, discus throwing help improve draft stock? So this is, I don't want to speak for every player because someone's going to be like, well, there's this one guy. But yes, Axel, generally speaking, you can look at the best athletes and in, in the best players in the NFL. Most of them excelled at another sport. Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, hell, Tom Brady was a great baseball player. So most of these guys, folks, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you want to be a quarterback, play baseball. Uh, it's always going to be better. And I think you can even look at, uh, you know, if you're uh, a wide receiver, but you have a soccer background like an Odell Beckham, that's going to help with your footwork, your coordination, your balance, that short term ag- or short area agility. So it always helps. I love finding linemen who were good wrestlers in high school. Like that's such a nice. Was it Chase Winovich that told us right that he was like a really good high school wrestler? Little things like that make a big difference. Yeah, and I think with like their improve their draft stock, I'm not going to look at a player and be like, oh, I got a tie here. Uh, was one of them a wrestler in high school? Uh, so it's not going to improve your draft stock as far as scouting wise, but it is going to improve your draft stock because it's going to make you a better athlete. Like when I was growing up, the big thing was special specializing in sports. And that's just, it doesn't work. Like I know that you want to avoid injuries, but going out there and be able to learn something from a different sport and then take it to the football field really benefits the player. So I think that if you're going to play multiple sports, it's going to improve your draft stock because you're going to be a better athlete and you're going to have more tools in your toolbox than just the kid who's been out there playing football and football only his entire life. Matt, it was uh, horrible Harry, Harrison That's Phillips. right. That's right. <laughs> One of, if you ever have some free time, everyone, dig deep into the Sticks of Football archives and find when we got to spend some time and interview Harrison Phillips. It was one of our favorites. But I know, um, you know, the Bills actually flag it when you, when you wrestle, when yep. you play another sport, they were saying. So it, it matters to teams. It absolutely helps. I know Matt Bowen has talked about this as well. It's just it obviously, you know, gives you different movements that matters. It, it just it it advances your your playing level across the board. So it only helps in my eyes. Not surprised the Bills flag it because when I had Sean McDermott on, he's he never lost a wrestling match in high school. Never. So he, he doesn't like to talk about that. It right. sounds like, but uh, he was a legend. Of, still is. Love that guy. Uh, let's take one more break. We'll answer a couple more questions when we come back right after this. All right, a couple more draft on draft questions that we'll get you guys out of here. I uh, hope everybody's having a great Tuesday, if that's when you're listening. Chase Cohen wants to know, what's your opinion on giving running back second contracts? To me, it makes more sense from a team-building perspective to cut them loose after their rookie deals. Chase, my strategy on uh, running back contracts, man, it's like a rental car. I'm driving you into the ground and then letting you go with some well wishes and a Derek Jeter gift basket, like Melo says. Uh, I would not give, like Christian McCaffrey's the only running back in the NFL right now where I'm like yep second contract he deserves it yeah and I think a lot of people are on the don't pay running backs a second contract I'm not there yet I do think that there are a lot of running backs in the league that you can give a second contract to and it works out I think even when you look at obviously Christian McCaffrey but even like Zeke I think that he's going to play out his second contract pretty well and if you have one of the top running backs in the league We just saw Derrick Henry not reset the market. I actually think the market on running back pay is drastically going to decrease. I think that's an important part of that. And so, yeah, like second contract, great idea if we're not consistently resetting the market. Like if you want to take another four-year deal and it's at 
you know, a deal that works for both player and, yeah. you know, let's do it. But yeah. this, hey, we're giving you four years Todd Gurley money, basically. No, no, we yeah. don't want to do and that. I would say, like, you better make sure you have a special running back, too. And hopefully you did your homework when you drafted this guy to check on uh, his durability issues. I'm not giving a second contract to just any old running back. But, you know, there are the Mark Ingrams of the world who are still getting it done years into uh, their career. So I think if you have a, a special running back like a Christian McCaffrey, a Saquon Barkley, Zeke Elliott, any of those guys, I would pay them. I would give them a second contract, but not just the guy, not the Melvin Gordons of the world. Even I, I would have ran him into the ground and then said, see you later. Just like the chargers did. I think the player needs to be a special pass catcher. Like we saw with McCaffrey where it's, it's completely justified. He's almost another wide receiver out there. I, I, there's a time and a place. And I think you could even look at what Derek Henry did for the Titans, where the yards he created after contact proved to be difference making yards on his own not just the scheme not just the offensive line but overall it's a bad idea the Zeke Elliott contract it it was bad that's my opinion on it I I don't think it was a good deal I think it's proven to I don't think he looks like the player he was before the contract I think it'll only look worse over time and I think Dallas and Dallas has done a lot of great things over the years through the draft and through um, you know, financial decisions, I think they could have found his replacement in the draft and allocated that money elsewhere. So there's going to be really good examples of it, and there's going to be bad examples of it. I, I mean, Le'Veon Bell had his worst year for the Jets of his career after getting paid. We'll see what happens this year, but paying running backs has, you know, often does not work out. Yeah, uh, and I think guys like Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, there's going to be a lot of interesting decisions to be made over the next couple of years. Patrick Wilson asks, which of you were the best at NCAA football, the video game? And do you believe the unrest around player likeness and comp will ever lead to us getting NCAA football back? Back in the day, like in 2014, I was pretty good at this game. We played recently. Mello whipped my ass at this game. I am bad at it now. I don't know if I've gotten old and can't play video games anymore. I'm I think I'm pretty good at Red Dead, actually. Good. I'm bad. I'm not good. I, I would say that I am the best. Connor, we've never played each other at it, but I'm pretty damn good. No, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the only video game that's even left that I even play anymore. So, yeah, I'm I'm still pretty good at it. As far as will we ever get the game back, I, honestly, I just don't think so. And it has nothing to do with player likeness. Uh, EA would definitely come out and say, hey, we would like to pay these players and have them in the game. The problem is that the conferences say, wait, you're going to have to pay us. And the conferences, like we've seen with this pandemic, they just can't agree on everything. They can't get it in motion. Uh, So it's not the player's fault, which is a common misconception. It's the NCAA and the conferences that can't get on board with the guys at EA and get this game back. No, it's a disaster from that side of things. Like you said, Melo, you can have all the players in it, but to acquire everything from all the conferences, what these conferences charge for all kinds of things that I can't get into, it would be a bad financial decision for whoever made the game. Assuming EA made the game again, it's just very difficult to pull off and not lose money, which is sad that it's come to that because I thought it was great for college football when this game existed. You know, again, like, you could make this game and actually just do generic players. Like that's that's the reason why you can look at it and say it's not the players holding it up. You could just make QB5 at Alabama the quarterback. 
And then you could go in and change everything. It's the fact that Alabama says, if you want to use our logo, our uniforms, our field, all this stuff, you're going to have to pay our conference, the SEC, a lot of money. And it just doesn't make sense financially for EA to make this game. They would probably end up losing money on it, even though I would pay like hundreds of dollars to have this game back. Yeah, it's like uh, you guys are going to have to help pay for the fees, the rights fees, basically, to make this happen. Uh, Wine Guy, great name here. Based on the upgrades the Cardinals have made over the offseason, what are your thoughts on them? And if there are any current free agent available that could help them? So I said uh, before we went on break, I was like, I'm really excited about the Cardinals' defense uh, being better this year. A lot of people were like, what? Their defense sucked last year. understand that. It's a new season. I think adding Isaiah Simmons, who's going to focus on linebacker in the interim, is going to help. I think getting a full season out of Pat Pete is only going to help. Buda Baker is the most underrated and underappreciated safety in football. I'm a huge fan of him. And so I do look at the Cardinals and say, you know what? That's a tough division. Very tough division. Uh, I mean, we've seen two teams out of that division in the last four years make a Super Bowl. The other team's the Seattle Seahawks. So it's a really good division. Okay. I would not be shocked if the Cardinals find a way to be better than the Rams this year. I think they could give the 49ers a hell of a game just because Chandler Jones is is amazing. And I don't know if Trent Williams is still good or not. I don't know if they're on Seattle's level because I'm just such a huge believer in Russell Wilson. But the Cardinals in any other division would be competitive. Yeah, and I think that they're probably going to finish third in this division, but this might be the best division in football. Like when you look at the Seahawks, you look at the 49ers, they're pretty established with what they have, but the Cardinals are an up-and-coming team with a lot of young pieces, not just Kyler Murray. It's the Buda Bakers, it's the Isaiah Simmons, it's the Christian Kirk at receiver. This is a team that can make a push. I think they're going to give their division some fits and make it a hard win, but I'm not ready to put them at the top of that division yet. I think this is the division with the smallest gap from one to four, right? When you look at the top team, which I would say is the 49ers right now, all the way down to Arizona or the Rams, I still think it's it's close in comparison to the rest of the NFL. Now, do I think they're on the level of the Niners or Seattle right now? I don't. I think they're still in this rebuilding phase under Cliff Kingsbury. They've made a lot of strides. The offense is going in the right direction. They have defensive pieces. It's just going to take a little bit. But like you said, Matt, I do think they could pass the Rams this year. I I think with the Rams offensive line problems, Arizona is definitely in the driver's seat to at least be competitive uh, across their entire schedule this year. That's how many improvements they've made, not just with the coaching staff, but with their last two. Yeah, And one thing to remember with the coaching staff, like Cliff Kingsbury still getting used to the NFL. So we could see an offense that was pretty good last year. I think we could see it take another step if they can clean up some of the O-line issues. Uh, Adding DeAndre Hopkins definitely helps. All right, last question from Fat Dad. Great usernames today, guys. It's not me. And don't forget, you can leave uh, a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and we're going to pull those into the show. So you can leave your draft on draft on on Twitter, of course, but leave them in your Apple Podcast review. We'll get them into the show as well. So this one, guys... He says, I believe Oregon has one of the best secondaries in the country, but who's highest on your draft boards? So for me, it's Javon Holland, and it's not even close. He's the best safety uh, in the 2021 draft, in my opinion. I am a gigantic fan of his uh, top 15 player overall. The playmaking skills are there. Now with safeties, we've been all been like hurt before by the guy who like crashes on the scene, and then you need to see that follow-up year. I'm looking at you, Grant Delpit. So with, with Holland... The potential is there. It's very exciting. Even though he's not the biggest guy, 
I love his range over the top. So he is someone that I'm I'm really excited about as a prospect. Yeah, and that's going to be mine too. Like the rest of this secondary, honestly, they probably have five guys uh, that could be drafted. They they're led by four seniors, and then the other one is Javon Holland. I'll I'll say uh, another one is going to be I think you say his name Michael Wright. He's just a sophomore. He's going to be a name to watch. Eventually, he's he's not even draft eligible. He was going to be a sophomore this season if we hopefully have a season. But that's a really good secondary. And I do agree. I think it's the best secondary in the nation. I think Holland's good enough where it wouldn't even shock me if he's one of the next guys to declare or opt out. I mean, obviously, some of these guys want to play football, but Holland's good enough where if he walked away right now, we'd sit here and and do our scouting reports, do our player comps and go, yeah, he's in this conversation with the top guys as, as a first round player. He was that good as an underclassman for two years. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good uh, you know, DBs out there. Safety is a really deep position this year too, which is a position that I feel like usually it's like, and eh, there's not very many special safeties. You look at Andre Sisku out of Syracuse. Yep. He is yes, such Syracuse. a good, just turnover machine at safety. But then you also have your Javon Hollins. You also have, Jacoby Stevens at LSU, who's damn near a linebacker now. They list him at 230 now. Uh, you have Nazaldine out of Florida State. Like, there are just some really good safeties. Our Darius Washington. He's small, yeah. but he's a ball right. He, and he's another guy that can even play some nickel, too, at TCU. Richard LeCount at Georgia. A lot of really good safety. So I want to amend a question that we had earlier. I think safety is also a very deep position. Paris Ford at Pitt. Like we, the, Pitt's yep. going to have a lot of NFL players very soon from this defense. Uh, and how about Caden Stearns? Hook him. I know a lot of hopefully. people are expecting a big jump from him this this year, so hopefully we get to see that. Uh, all right, that is our show. We'll be back Friday morning. Don't forget to send those draft on draft questions in, and uh, wouldn't hate it if you left a five star review. From Melo and Connor Smith, we'll talk to you guys real soon.